today on Standing on the Word. The, the, the tree of life is in the center of heaven, the very, the very center of where he wants us to go. He's inviting us to go in through the gates, into the middle of the city where the tree of life is. He's inviting us to a feast in heaven. What an invitation. I, I love that. This is, this is the place he's inviting us to. What a special invitation to a special place. I mean, you've never gotten the invite like this before in your life, have you? You're listening to Standing in the Gap, standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins, who is pastor and Bible teacher at West End Baptist Church. And now from his sermon titled, The Last Invitation, here's Josh. All right, good evening. Good to see you guys out this evening. Let's go ahead, and if you've got your Bibles, you, go, you know where to turn. Let's turn to Revelation for the next to last time. Like Brandon said, who knows when we'll be back here for maybe maybe. You, doing a study through this it may never happen again so we we need to enjoy these last two i've been trying to get it to linger on as long as we can because i've enjoyed it and we've titled this last little series that we've done in the last chapter the, the last words uh, these are the last words of of the bible we, we see that we're on here as you turn there i don't know about you guys but i'm on the last page of my bible i'm on the last page of revelation and the next page i turn to is a is, is the maps. So there's no more. There's nothing else after this. Maybe you guys are relieved by that and we'll be done with Revelation. Uh, but the good stuff is over. We went through all the end times things. We're in the last chapter, so we should know everything, all the details that's going to take place in the end times now. If, if I've done a good job teaching you, then you know all that. And now we just get to the last words of John here in, in, in Revelation. And these last words, we're going to be looking at 12 through 17 tonight. And we're going to do one more next week. Uh, but tonight I want to look at this, these last words here. These are very important words. Uh, these words here are the last things that God would say to us. And I say that not just in Revelation. God knew that Revelation would be the last book of the Bible. And God knew that Revelation 22 would be the last chapter of the Bible. So God knew and purposely put these words in here to be his last words, his last revelation to us. There are no new revelation that is given by God. This is it. It's over. It's done. Uh, this is a closed book now. There's no more revelation. We will not hear audibly from God until he returns. So these are the last words. So these are very, 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 and I'll add one more, very important words. Uh, anytime you get the last words of anyone, it, it's very important. God has not spoken and revealed himself since 95 AD. So these are his last words to us. So these are very important again. And what are they? I've went through, a, we've, we're, we're going to do four or five sermons in this, in this series on the last words. These last words we're looking at tonight are his in, inviting words. He's inviting us. This is the words of, of invitation. And I titled this sermon tonight, The Last Invitation. The Bible's full of invitations, and this is the, the last one. There will be no more. Uh, so let's go ahead and stand together, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And you'll see that here. You'll see the invitation it is the very heart of this passage tonight as we look at the last invitation. Starting in verse 12, and we've already studied verse, verse 12, but I want to look at it again. It says in verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to, to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you the things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Here's the verse where I will be tonight. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. That is, in verse 17, the last invitation that God gives. Let's pray together and then we'll look at these words. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we are, uh, let's start there. Thank you that you, God, has chosen to reveal yourself unto us through a book. 
through these words, and we have it in our hands, a, a Bible that we can understand, that we can read, that we can uh, comprehend. And God, I pray that tonight you'd help me with these words. I know some of these things can be difficult, and, and I pray that you'd help me to untie those knots. Help me to be clear. Help me to be true. Uh, God, help me to be uh, empowered by your Spirit to, to accomplish the task that you've called me to do here tonight. And I pray that we'd all hear these last words and we would treat it as if, as if it is the last invitation that we will ever receive. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If I was to ask you this question, and there's many answers, and you, 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 could, you, you don't necessarily give a wrong answer to this, but if I were to ask you, what is the Bible about? And that's something that we ask our kids a lot. We can ask in Sunday school, what is the Bible about? And most people will give you a pretty good answer to that. There's a lot of answers. There's a lot of themes that run, run through the Bible, starting in Genesis 1 and working its way to, to Revelation 22. There's lots of different themes and things that pop up that you'll find that say, oh, that, that's something that, that I see a lot in the Bible. But overall, as we look at the Bible as a whole, you guys that have been reading through the Bible this year, can you name maybe one thing, maybe two things that you would say, this is what the Bible is about. This is the theme. This is the main point. This is the, what God is trying to get across to us. And there's a lot of things you could say. The Sunday school answer, my kid's answer is Jesus. I mean, that's a good answer. It's not a wrong answer. That's a, the most simple and basic answer that you can give. The Bible's about Jesus. It's about the, the glory of God. It's about uh, the salvation of man, how uh, a holy God is going to make a sinful man right with him again. Those are all good answers, and, and it's something that, that we, we need to think about. But the answer I want to give tonight, and it's not the answer, it's one of the answers, is the Bible is about invitation. The whole Bible stands as an invitation to us. I want, to, I want to read this. I wrote, wrote this down earlier this week, and, and I think it describes the Bible real well. You know, get this. If you want to write it down, I'll say it twice. The whole Bible stands as an invitation from the God who wrote it to you who are reading it to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main theme of what the Bible is talking about. I mean, that, that's as you read through your, your study and, and you're uh, trying to read the whole Bible, you'll find this theme running throughout the whole Bible. It is, again, the whole Bible stands as an invitation from the God who wrote it to you, me, who are reading it right now, to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of the Bible. It shows us, number one, that our God is a God of invitation. Our God is a very inviting God. Our God wants us to be with him. I love that about God. He is in his person. He is a, a very inviting person. There's two ways you can look at the word inviting. The first one is it's, it's uh, something that is attractive. It's, it's like a magnet. that it, it, It's inviting in that it draws you to itself. It could be a store where they put all kinds of things out front and try to draw you to that store. I, I know that when I go to the Tanger Outlets in Gatlinburg, there's one store that always draws me in. I could have no money. I could be not hungry at all. But if you walk by that fudgery and they got the doors wide open and, and they got fans blowing the fudge smell outside, you walk by and I'm going, I need fudge. Yeah, there's, there's something attractive. There's something that is inviting about that smell. And God is, I know I, know I use that simple an analogy, but our God is an inviting God. There's something about God that, that, that makes him inviting, that makes us want to hear about him, and that, that draws us to him. He is such a, a, a great God that we want to be around him. We, we want to know about him. We want to sing to him. He is such a great God that he invites us to him. He is pleasant, and he is lovely, and he is kind, and he is gracious, and he is good. And that invites us to him. Just who he is is inviting. I want that persona about me. I want that when I walk into a room, people want to be around me. I want to be inviting. I want to be open and welcoming to people. I want our church to be like that. I want when people walk into our church, they say, this is a very inviting place. Because if we are inviting, if I am inviting, then I am showcasing who God is. I'm being like Christ. Was Christ not the most inviting man who ever lived? I mean, he would walk through towns and crowds would just flock to him. There was something inviting about him. Kids would come and sit on his lap. The disciples said, I'll send them away. And he said, no, 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 no. This is what the kingdom is like. 
Jesus was a very inviting person. Our churches should be inviting. We should not be pushing people away. We ought to be inviting people in. I've started doing those videos on Facebook on, on Saturdays, and the whole point of those is to invite people to come to church. I want our place to be inviting. I want to, that when you walk in the front door, we, we've made that a goal, that when you walk in, it's warm, it's welcoming. I, I've told our deacons, smile, you know. And when we walk in, we're not mad, we're not frustrated. We say, oh, it's great to see you. We want to be inviting, like God is inviting. And the other thing that it means, not only in his person is God and inviting God, but in his personal invites. Not only just God himself, it's like a magnet that draws people to him. Jesus was like a magnet drawing people to him. But he also reached out and personally invited people to come to him. That's who he is. Our God is an, an inviting God. He's not a God who pushes away. He's a God who invites to come to him. I love that about God. You see that all through the Bible that God personally invites. And it's not just a general invite like, a, like you would send on Facebook. You have those birthday parties, and you get out there, and it's like, who do you want to invite? And it's like, whole friends list, <laughs> you know. And, and it just sends out a, a big invite to every friend you have on Facebook. i got like 900 friends. I'm like, I'll invite them all with one invite. Come to church on Easter. But there's something special. I like getting those so you guys can send them to me. I like that. But there's something special about getting a one-on-one -on -one invite from somebody. There's something special about sending a message saying, I, Josh, am inviting you to church. I, Josh, want you at my birthday party bring a present. <laughs> Is there not something special about that? When it's not just general everybody, but it's you. I'm inviting you. I want you there. And God does a general invite to all, but then he does a particular invite as well. It's like Jesus when he's walking through the crowd and he's inviting, all of a sudden he looks up in a tree and he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, personal, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm inviting myself to your house today. Personal invites. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you've got a personal Holy Spirit invite to come to Christ. It's not just a general invite, it is a particular invite that he gives. And I love that our God is, a, is, a, is an inviting God in his, in his person and in, in that he personally sends out invitations that he wants people to come to him. And I, I'm telling you that here because I want you to see that he's such an inviting God that on the last page of the Bible, God couldn't stop writing. He couldn't put his pen down. We know that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that, that men wrote uh, as God moved them to write, and God couldn't put down the pen. He couldn't let John be done unless he sends out one last plea to the sinners to come to him. I love that about God. He says, I, I, I can't stop. As long as there are unbelievers in the world, I've got to send out one last invitation. I want the last page to be a page of invitation. It's like George Whitfield. I mentioned it this morning. Every time he'd finish up a sermon, he would say these words. I love this about George Whitfield. He'd say, come to Jesus. Oh, sinners, come to Jesus. The preacher's number one job is to invite people to come to Jesus. And now I believe, as this passage is laid in front of us, the cross leans from his throne in heaven, inviting sinners to come to him. So here it is, the last chance. This will be the last invite that God gives. And everyone here needs to treat it that way, as if this is the last one you'll ever hear. That God in heaven is inviting you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So let's look at it, the last invitation. I'm going to give you three points just as we work our way through this. And I want to show you, number one, I want to show you the inviting person. Who's doing the inviting here? This is important. Whenever you get an invitation in the mail, the first thing you do is, who's it from? Sometimes you'll get things in the mail, and it looks like it's handwritten. It looks like somebody has just taken so much time and, and effort to, to invite you, and it'll say my name at the top, and, and be this big, long letter and at the bottom, and you know all these things, and you're looking at it like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. Before you realize, it's just a letter that's been copied and sent out to a million people. But at the bottom of it, you want to see who is the one that's sending this. 
Who's sending me an invitation? I'm more likely to respond to an invitation if I know who it is that's sending it. We want to know who it is that's inviting us to come to Christ. Let's look at it and see what it says. Starting in verse 13, you see who's doing the inviting? I want to show you number one. I want to give you four, uh, four pictures of who's doing the inviting here. Look what it says in verse 13. This is the sovereign one that is inviting. Look, look, I am Alpha. You guys know what this means. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I think I even talked about it last Sunday morning in, in, in the Easter sermon. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end, and I am the first and the last. Who is that? That's, a, that's a, yeah, identifying. Jesus is identifying himself as the sovereign one. It says there, that phrase is repeated three times. I am Alpha, which is the first layer of the Greek alphabet. I am Omega, which is the last layer of the Greek alphabet. I am the first, and I am the last. I am the beginning, and I am the end. It's the same thing repeated three different times, and he's telling us here, we've heard it all through Revelation, that Jesus is he is the first. He is the beginning. He is the, the alpha. We all have a beginning. We started at some point, at some time, but Jesus never had a beginning. He always has been, and he always will be. He is the alpha. He is the beginning. He is the first. Before anything was, that was, there was Jesus Christ. He's the alpha. I had a beginning. I was, I was created, born in 1980. Jesus had no beginning. You all had a date of beginning. Jesus has none. He's the first in, in, in that he is the beginning. He's also the first. I love that. That word first, that word uh, beginning, that word uh, alpha also means rank. I love the term alpha. I tell my boys all the time that I am the alpha in our house. You know what that means? I'm the top dog. I'm, I'm the one that's in control. And Isaiah loves to say, well, if you're alpha, I'm the second alpha. You know, If you're gone, I'm, I'm the one that, that jumps in control here. But when it says that Jesus is the alpha, it doesn't just mean that he is the first of all creatures. It means he is the, the, the highest in rank of everyone. There is no one higher than he is. I, I'm the highest in my house. You guys know that. I'm the, that's a, the man leads the home. I'm the highest in rank. I'm the alpha of my family. But when I walk out of the house, there are people that are higher than me. When I walk out of my house and I come in Big Stone, the, the cops are higher than me, and I, I submit. The mayor is higher than me, and I submit. The governor of Virginia is higher than me, and I submit. The president of the United States of America is higher than me, and I submit. But Jesus has no one anywhere that is higher than he is. There's none. First in rank. He's a chief. He's the foremost. He's the, the greater and the best. He's the first of the prophets. There's none better than him. He's the first of the preachers. He is the preacher of all preachers. He is the first of all kings. He's a king of kings. And he is the first of all shepherds. And it's not even close. <laughs> He is the first of all preachers in that he is the top preacher. And the next in line falls way short of who Jesus is. He is the first in prophets. And then you have Isaiah and all these other guys way down here. He is the first. And then I'll tell you, he's the last. It says that. You see that there in your, in your Bible. This means he's the sovereign one. He's the last. He's the, the omega, which is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. He's the end and he's the last. What does that mean? Let me say this. He has no ending. There will never be a time when Jesus is not in complete control. If we were to go ahead and ahead in time, if we had a time machine, and we were to put it a thousand years from now, and we all got in and went way ahead in time, and we got out, and everything here had faded away, and there was nothing left, and everything was gone, Jesus would still be sovereign and in control. Let's take it even further. If you were to go a million years in the future and we get out and there's nothing and there's nobody, guess who's still on the throne? Jesus Christ is. Because he is the first and he is the last. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the alpha and he is the omega. That's who Jesus is. He is the sovereign one. And that's who's sending you this invitation tonight. I know you guys are sitting there saying, why are you telling us this? Because I want you to know that Jesus is all in all. That he is the sovereign one. He is, and not only is he the first and the last, he's everything in between as well. He, he's, uh, he's everything. He's, he's all things. He's, uh, he's the sun that's in the day. What's the day without the sun? Nothing. He's the moon of the night. He's the water that's in the sea. He's the, 
sight that's in our eyes. He's the hearing that's in our ears. Jesus is everything to us. And he is the one that's invited to us. You see this? This makes the invitation. I could just jump to verse 17 and tell you what all that means, but I don't want to. I want to show you who is the one doing this to you. The sovereign one. And then jump to verse 16. Another description of who he is. Ah, Jesus. You see that there? It says, clearly identifies who this is that's giving the invitation. If the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last didn't, didn't give it away, then verse 16 kind of makes it very clear, doesn't it? Ah, Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the one that, that, that the name, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the saving one. He's the Savior. He's the Lamb of God. To be saved, you're going to be saved by Christ. To be forgiven, it will be by Christ. He is the saving one and the sovereign one, and he is bidding you to come. I've got another one. He's the supreme one. You say, where do you get that one at? What's this? Verse 16. I, I love this one. It's just, I'm just telling you the person of invitation. Who's giving this invitation? Ah, Jesus has sent my angel to testify unto you the things in the, these things in the churches. Look at this next one. I am the root and the offspring of David. You say, what in the world does that mean? It's really a strange title, but I think it's absolutely outstanding. This is what it means. Jesus is the root, which means he is the ancestor of David. He is a source of David. David comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The root is where the tree comes from. It starts with the root down the bottom. You don't start with a tree and then the root goes down into the, into the ground. You start with the root and then from the root grows the trees, grows the branches, grows the leaves, and grows the fruit. It all starts with the root. And Jesus says there, I am the root of David. I am his ancestor. He comes from me, David. King David in the Old Testament comes from Jesus. I am the, my dad is the root of me. I come from him. His dad is his root. That's how it goes. Those are my ancestors. They, I come from them. That's what Jesus is saying there. I am the root, the ancestor of David. David comes from me. Now look at the next one. You say, okay, I get that. Now he says that I am the offspring of David. <laughs> how in the world? You know what that is? I am the descendant of David. I am not only the one who is the root the ancestor, but I am the offspring, the descendant of David. I am the source of David, and I come from David. I like to say it this way. I am the root, and I am the shoot. I, I am the one who started David, and I'm the one who comes from David. You say, how can somebody be that? You've got to be just, you can't be both. I can't, my, my, my dad can't be both to me. How, how in the world can he do that? It, it's, and it's really quite simple. I love this because he, he is, as the root shows that he is the eternal God. And as the offspring, he shows that he is man, that he comes from man. So this shows us in this, this one simple phrase that he is the God man, the supreme one, the only one like he is. And this supreme one, this God man is inviting you to come. I've got another one, just one more. If you didn't like that one, you'll love this one. And I am the bride and morning star. It says, this is, again, a star was at that time, if you called someone a star, you exalted them. It's the same thing we do now. To be a star meant that you stood out. If you have a kid in high school now and they look at them and they say, you're going to be a star. You watch these kids play basketball and in middle school and in high school, and you sit there and say, out of all those kids, there's 10 on the basketball court, that one is going to be a star. You say that word, that one will be a star. And when you say that, you're saying that one kid that's on the court stands out from all the others on the court. Out of 10 kids out there, there's one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. There's some out there that are shooting layups. There's some out there that are shooting and missing. But there's one out there that's dunking on every single kid out there. I mean, those, those kids are like 5'2". That guy's like 6'5". He stands out. He's the star of the team. Football, same thing. There's 22 out there. And you watch it and you can see easily who is the standout, who is the, the star. We do it in Hollywood. You have the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and they have 
I, I've been there. I walk, walk down that, the, the, the streets in Hollywood, and there's stars everywhere with names on them. I thought it was funny, people like Bugs Bunny, you know? I mean, there's all kinds of stars as you walk down the street. And what those stars are signifying is these people stand out from the rest of us commoners. I don't have a star. <laughs> They'll never give me a star. But these guys are actors and they're musicians and they're stars. They stand out above everybody else. These people in Hollywood, and you know who puts those stars there? They do. <laughs> they say they stand out. They stand out head and shoulders above all of us normal people. You say, what does that mean here? That Jesus is the brightest star that there is. Of all the stars in our world, the actors and the athletes and the musicians that stand head and shoulders above us, common people, Jesus stands head and shoulders above every, every person in the world. He is the brightest and he is the shiniest star that has ever been. Out of all the stars in the sky, there is one that shines brighter than, than them all, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the shining one. He is the one that stands out. He is the highest star, the shiniest star in the whole galaxy. Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. I am the one that is showcasing the greatest light. He's a shining one. These are all, and I know I've, I've took some time tonight with this, but these are all titles and descriptions of Christ. This isn't just a nobody inviting you. This isn't just Josh up here inviting you. This isn't just an angel inviting you. This is the, the God-man inviting you. This is the Savior inviting you. This is the, the star that shines brighter than anybody else in the world that's inviting you. Imagine you get an invite from the Queen of England. You don't turn that down. I mean, the, the Queen don't invite too many people to come to dinner with her. If you, got, if you opened up your mailbox and it said Queen of England on it, you're going to England. President. You may not like the president, but you get an invite, you go. He's a star. The Queen of England's a star. Jesus is head and shoulders above them. They are nothing compared to the glory that is Christ. And he is the one inviting us. What, what, a, what a picture we get here. He's the one sending out special invitations to you and me. I don't know if you like that, but I love that. This makes the invitation so much more special, knowing who it is sending it. I could have just went through and said, it's Jesus. But I wanted to show you that he is the sovereign one, the beginning and the end. He is the eternal one. He's the shining one. He's the supreme one. He's the saving one. And he is the one sending an invitation to you. That's the inviting person. Isn't that amazing? When I give an invitation on Sunday morning and there's a crowd of people here like I did on Easter and you know there's lost people, I need them to know that it's not me sending the invitation. I need them to know that, that God in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, has the one that's given me this book and, and it's not me. I'm just delivering the mail. It comes from him. Do you see what he says there? I love that in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my messenger to tell you these things. It comes from Jesus through a messenger to you. He's the one inviting you to him. That's special. I should have called it the special invite. Number two, we saw the inviting person. Let me show you the inviting place. Where is he inviting us to? What does he want us to come to? And when you open up an invitation, it should say, from whoever it is, to come to what? Birthday party. Baby gender reveal. You know, all these different things that we get invites to. What do they want me to come to? Where is it? What it's going to be like? What am I supposed to wear? I need to know these details. And here in, in verse 14, he gives us details of where he's inviting us to. Watch this. He's inviting us to a beautiful place. He's inviting us to a beautiful place. Look what it says. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter in through the gates into the city. 
This is a beautiful place. He's saying here that this is where we go. We were going into the gates. We're going to go to the tree of life. Verse 2 of chapter 22 says, In the midst of the street of heaven, and on either side of the river, there was the, the tree of life, which bare twelve men of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The, the, the tree of life is in the center of heaven, the very, the very center of where he wants us to go. He's inviting us to go in through the gates, into the middle of the city, where the tree of life is. He's inviting us to a feast in heaven. What an invitation. I love that. This is, this is the place he's inviting us to. What a special invitation to a special place. I mean, you've never gotten an invite like this before in your life, have you? My, my invites usually say church fellowship hall. Bring chips, you know. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's, not a, that's not the best invitation I've ever gotten. This is. He is inviting us lost people, us sinners, us rebellion, those who are in the midst of rebellion, come to heaven with me. How do we do that? It's like now he gives us a secret password. <laughs> I, I love this. Look what it says here. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to enter into the tree of life and may enter in through the, the gates into the city. You see what it says there? That you get in if you do His commandments. You get in if you do His commandments. That's what He's saying there. Those who do His commandments get to go in. Those who follow His commands. Jesus said it all throughout the, uh, of His ministry. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Those who love him, those who have been saved by him, are the ones who are going to obey him. That, that's, that, that's what I said this morning. That's the evidence of being saved and forgiven is that now we are people not who rebel against him, but who obey him. Not disobeying him, but doing what he says. That's the evidence of a, of a changed life is that we are now described as those who do what he says. He's describing us as obedient people. Lost people are disobedient. Saved people are obedient. Lost people hate Christ. Saved people love Christ. And we do whatever it is he tells us to do. If you want to get into heaven, you better be saved. You better have your sins forgiven and all those sins washed away. If you have one sin still on you when you die, you don't get into heaven. They all must be forgiven. And you better do His commandments. That's the evidence of a changed life. That's the evidence of being saved. Is that you do what He says to do. Believers who have been truly saved are obedient. Do you see that? If you want to get into heaven and have the right, this is a secret password to get in. You better be those who keep His commandments. Does that describe your life? Let's just bring it down to you now. This is, this is him, and I haven't underlined it, but I'm going to. Blessed are they that do his commandments. He is describing those who get in. He's not saying that's what you have to do to get in, because we know that we can't keep his commandments to get in. We are saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The works that, that get us into heaven are the, the works of Christ. But what describes those who go to heaven is obedience. Would you say that your life is described as an obedient life? Those that do His commandments. So He shows us how to get in. Who are those that get in? Those that do His commandments. And then next He describes to us those who are left out. And He describes in verse 15 those who are disobedient. I love the contrast here. The obedient ones are the ones that get in. And the disobedient ones are the ones that's left out. And it says that there. You see, you see, we, he's inviting us to a beautiful place. And then he's warning us about being stuck in a bad place. Look what he says. For without. You see, you see that word without? I've already underlined that. For without. That's outside the city. Those who are left out. Those who don't get to go into heaven. Here's what the, who they are. The ones in are described as obedient. 
doing what he says. The ones that are without are the ones that are known for their disobedience. And then he gives us a list, a very descriptive list of sins here. Look what he says. For without are dogs. And when he says dogs, he's not talking about our little dogs that we love. I've got a dog in my house, and I love that dog more than I love most people. Uh, I mean, Steph will attest to that. Sometimes when I come home, the first thing, the first one that I hug is my German Shepherd Marley. I'll grab her by the neck, and I'll tell her how much I love her. She doesn't understand a word I'm saying, but I'm, I'm loving on her. I, I kiss her. I love that dog. She is as loyal and obedient. I, I, she's a friend that, that is with me all the time. I love that dog. She does whatever I tell her to do. I mean, if I tell her to go outside, she goes outside. Come in, she comes in. I love my dog. But that's not the kind of dogs he's talking about here. Dogs in that time were not our little house dogs that we have today. Dogs in that time were scoundrel dogs. They went about eating garbage and using the bathroom all over the place. They were considered nasty at that time. People didn't take care of dogs. They just run around doing whatever they, they wanted to do and eating whatever they could grab a hold of. They were mean and they were nasty. They were scoundrels. And to call somebody a dog in that time was to, be, to use the lowest of low insults. If you called someone a dog, that there was fighting words. <laughs> you like how I said that? All of a sudden I turned into a hillbilly. Them there were fighting words. It's used three different times in the Bible. It's used in Deuteronomy 23.18 to describe homosexuals. Dogs. The lowest of the low. It's used to describe Gentiles. Jews looked so down on Gentiles that they called them dogs. And it was used to describe unfaithful men. Whether that be unfaithful in marriage or unfaithful in teaching. As a preacher that was unfaithful to the word of God or, or to God, they were called dogs. You've heard that said about men who, who are unfaithful to their wives. That, that dog. So he's saying here the dogs, the lowest of the low in humanity are left out. The next thing he says is sorcerers. I'm not going to give as much detail on all these. I don't have time to do that. But the next thing he says is sorcerers. You see that there? Dogs and sorcerers. Sorcerers are those uh, pagans. They were in pagan religions. They were into black arts. They were into, into magic, um, even into drugs and mind-altering things. That's, that's what a sorcerer was. Uh, the, the actual Greek word is pharmacia, the word we get pharmacy from. So it has to deal with drugs and, and, and altering the mind. There was those types of people there. Those are still, again, the lowest of the low. You don't want to be that. You're not a dog. You're not a sorcerer. Those people are on the outside of the city. The obedient ones are on the inside. I don't even have to describe the next one, murderers. You know what that is. Take another person's life. I'll take it a step further and, and tell you, and, and this isn't the time or the place, but America is full of baby murderers. But let me tell you this, those who are involved in that, live in that, and their life is defined as and characterized by the killing of babies will be left out of heaven if they don't get saved. Fifth, he says, idolaters. Do you see that there? I mean, I'm, I'm just going down the list. Murderers and idolaters. Idolaters are all those who are caught up in false religion. Any other religion other than the one who worships and serves the God of, and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is an idolatrous religion. They have the wrong God and they're worshiping in the wrong way. They are idolaters. All other religions are false. I said it this morning. Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ, is an exclusive religion in that he is the only way of salvation. Everybody else are, is idolaters. They have built up a God of their own making, of their own image. We want God to be like this. Islam did that. Did that. We want our God to be like this. And they formed and they made a, a God of, of Allah. The, the Mormons have done the same thing. We want God to be like this. And, and Buddha. I mean, they actually have a statue of Buddha. 
And they, and they worship and they bow down. They have all these idols that they worship. We are the only ones that know the one true and living God. All others are idolaters. Get this, and that means, and I know this sounds narrow-minded, but this passage says idolaters are outside of heaven. Last, those who love and make a lie. Love and make a lie means their life is characterized by lying. They are, by definition, a liar. They love it, and they live it. They spend their life lying. You've heard people say that? I, I, I hear that people say that about a lot of people. Uh, they don't even know the truth. You know, you hear people say that. You can't believe a word that comes out of their mouth. Every word they say is a lie. You know, you hear that all the time. People like that have their place, and it's not in heaven. And I'll say this, these people are the lowest of the low in society. That's why he's describing this. And, and this, this list goes on. I mean, you, you can look up 1 Corinthians 6 has a similar list. We've got Galatians 5, another similar list. I missed the whoremongers, didn't I? I skipped that one. I never skip words. We've got to go back. <laughs> Somebody should have called me out on that. I, don't, don't, don't let Josh skip words. But look what it says. Again, sorcerers, whoremongers. That's the... The word pornos in the Greek describes all types of immoral sexual acts. And I don't even have to go down the list of those, those things that you, in your mind you know what those things are. Adulterous relationships, incestuous relationships, homosexual relationships. Those who are living in that way have no part in heaven. Again, I can give you another list. Look, look at verse 27 of chapter 21. It's probably on the same page. And there shall no wise enter into it, that's heaven, anything that defiles. Neither whatsoever work of abomination or make of the lie, but only those which names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It gives us there clearly. They will have no wise enter in if they're like that. I'll give you another one. Chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And these lists are all over the Bible. And you have people all the time say, well, I can't tell you if that person is going to heaven or if they're going to hell. I've got a list here of, of characteristics of people that will not see heaven. These people are the lowest of the low in society, and these people are the ones, get this, I love this, that Jesus is inviting. The lowest of the low. Not casting them off, but inviting them. He is inviting the lowest of the low to come to him. That's amazing. We sit there and look at that list and say, yeah, they're going to hell and they deserve it. We all deserve hell. And the only reason we're not going to hell is because Jesus is gracious and inviting us. And now he invites them. And that's my last point and we'll close. We've seen the inviting person. We've seen the inviting place. Is heaven not an inviting place to you? Uh, in, in the terms of the fudgery, is, is heaven not something that you're drawn to? I know we, we love here, but there's something pleasant about heaven that just is, is like a magnet for our souls that we want to go there. It's inviting, an inviting place. I want to go inside the city. I want to go where the tree of life. I want to go where Christ is. So we've seen the, the inviting person. We've seen the inviting place. Now let's look at the inviting plea. And that's in verse 17. It's the heart of this text. Where he says here, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. You see that three times repeated over and over and over. It's like he's standing at, the, at a pulpit like I would. And he's looking out and saying, You who are lost, come. You who are unbelieving, come. You that are in your sin, come. 
You, you, you that, that want no Christ and no forgiveness come. And he's just saying it over and over and over. Three times in one verse at the end of the Bible. This is something that we ought to pay attention to. He's saying, come, come on. I want you to come. It's like he's begging. It's like he's, he's pleading with those who are lost. He's pleading with the whoremongers who's caught up in adulterous relationships, in homosexual relationships. You can be forgiven if you'll just come. You who are idolatrous, you who are in Islam, you who are in, in Buddhist religions, you who are Hindu, you who are in Mormonism, who, you who are Jehovah's Witnesses, you can come, come, come to me. What an invite. You who are liars, come. You who are murderers, come. He casts no one away, but invites them to, to come. Our God is an inviting God. Look what it says. Who's inviting? It's not just Christ. I think these words should be in red. Verse 17, and and the Spirit says come. Do you see that? The Spirit is saying come. It's one to be invited by Christ, and now you're being invited by the Spirit of God. That's what I pray when I'm giving an invitation on Sunday mornings. I, I pray it as I bow my head. God, by your Spirit, would you draw? Would you invite? Would you change hearts? Would you change minds? And the Spirit, I pray, would go through the church and grab a hold and say, come. And grab a hold and say, come. And grab a hold and say, come. Christ says, come. And the Spirit says, come. Look again, there's another one. You see this? And the Spirit says, come. And Jesus is saying, come. And the bride says, come. Who's the bride? It's the church of Jesus Christ. Our number one job in the world is to invite sinners to come to Christ. To invite the whoremongers, to invite the homosexuals, to invite the drug addicts, to invite those who are in pagan religions and and those who are in other religions. Come. It's our voice that should be going out into the world inviting people to come to Christ. My job, your job, the bride's job is to say, come to Jesus and be saved. That, that's three so far. You you with me? It's one thing to get an invite from one person. If you get one from a second person, you're like, well, they really want me there. If you get a third, it's like, wow, I'm not, there's some, they really want me to be there. If you get a fourth, it's a big deal. Do we have a fourth? We've got Christ, we've got the Spirit, we've got the bride, and then we've got one more. Are you looking down there at it with me? The Spirit says, come. And again, these words in verse 17 should be in red. Jesus is saying this. And this, so it's Christ, and then the Spirit, and, the, and then the bride, and let him that heareth. You say, who is that? Everyone who will hear this needs to say and speak up with the church, with the Spirit, and with Christ. You need to come. It's like he wants us all to get involved now. It's like the preacher standing up here, and the Spirit's moving, and we have the words of Christ going out saying, come. And now everybody in the sanctuary looks around and says, if you're lost in here, won't you come to Christ? everybody's inviting. It's like we're pleading with these sinners to come and be saved. At the end of the Bible, he is inviting, won't you come? Jesus says, come. The Spirit says, come. The bride says, come. Let all who are here and all that would hear in the world say, come. It's like you've got a crowd of people. You're talking about peer pressure. (laughs) I mean, sitting in a church and Jesus says, come. Spirit says, come. Bride says, come. Now everybody does. And you sit there saying, I, I better get up and go. What an invitation. A plea to come. Not just by one, but by a whole lot. The church should not be doing this to people. We should be doing this to people. Come to our neighbors. Come to Christ. To our friends. Come to Christ. To our loved ones, come to Christ. To our children. Somebody asked me that the other day. How are you, can you assure that your kids will grow up and be saved? I said, I can't. It's not my job. It's my job to give them the gospel and say, come to Christ. And I will do that with my dying breath. Come to Christ. You say, Joshua, I hear this often. Joshua, what will you do if one of your kids rebel? And the odds are that one will. 
It breaks my heart to think that one will. It's true. I've heard statistics that say one out of every four kid in the church will turn from Christ and leave the church. I've got four. I've heard statistics as high that say every two out of four, 50%. So I look at my kids and say, what's going to keep them from going? What will you do if one rebels, Josh? I'll spend my life saying, come to Jesus. Come to Him. And look what he says. Well, what's the condition for coming? If you're thirsty, come. If you're dissatisfied with life, come. If your soul is parched, if your soul is like brown grass in the midst of a drought, come. If you've tried everything in the world to satisfy your soul, If your marriage isn't satisfying you, if your sin isn't satisfying you, if your kids aren't satisfying you, if you spend your life trying the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and you never find any satisfaction at all, come to Christ. For you who are sitting in these pews tonight, if you have no satisfaction in life, come to Christ. And He will satisfy your soul. If you are thirsty here tonight, come to Christ. If you see the need, come to Christ. If you are empty, come to Christ. If, you, if you're thirsty, come to Christ. If you're parched, come to Christ. If you're barren, come to Christ. If you're dry, come to Christ. If you've tried everything else and found no satisfaction, come to Christ. The next condition is if you're needy, come to Christ. The second one, it's like the condition is we have meals of love over here once a month. Is there somebody, if I walk outside and I say, can I come and eat? Yes, you can. What, what's the conditions? Why, what do I need to do to come? Are you hungry? And they look at you and say, yes, then come. Then come. I love that. And the next one, look, look what it says. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will. Don't you love that one? It's like the person says, you know what? I'm not that thirsty. I'm not that hungry. I don't know if I can come. I'm not hungry enough. Whosoever will. Anybody who wants to can come. That's what that means. Whosoever will. And I've got the Greek word for it. I can tell you that. But I want you to say this. If you want to, come. That's all it takes. Whosoever will. Whoever wants to. The word is whole thelon. It means whoever desires to. Whoever wishes to. And not those that understand. You don't have to understand all those things. Just come. Not those who are good. You don't have to be good. Just come. It doesn't say whosoever understands, whosoever's good, whosoever feels it. I hear that all the time. Oh, i got to feel it before I come. He doesn't say feel it. He says if you want to, you can come. If you're sitting there in the pews and you want to, you have a desire, you can come. I love that. Not those who are worthy. Aren't you thankful it doesn't say that? If you're worthy, come. It doesn't say if you are holy, come. It doesn't say if you are a churchgoer, come. It doesn't say if you clean up your life, you can come. It's like when people come to the meals of love. I don't look at them and say, you need to change clothes before you can come in here. You're dirty. You're nasty. You stink. No. I look at them and say, if you want to, come on in. You don't have to change clothes. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be worthy. You don't have to do any works. You don't have to do a dance and impress a preacher before you can come. If you want to, you can come. What an invite. Anyone who will. Are you willing to give up your sins? Come. Are you wanting to be saved? Come. Do you want to be a Christian and follow Christ? Then come on and be saved. You can drink of the water of life and find satisfaction if you want to. I, I love that. The only thing between you and Christ is your stubborn will. That's it. So come. Why won't people come to Christ? Their stubborn will. If you want to, come on. Oh, I don't want to. This is an invitation to all. Do you, you understand that? If you're thirsty, come. Whosoever wants to, come. If you're still unsure, 
The unjust can come. The unfilthy can come. The whoremonger can come. The liar can come. I'm just, just going on down the list. The murderer can come. The the uh, I mean, just just uh, the ones who work with abomination can come. The unbelieving can come. The fearful can come. The abominable can come. I mean, the, all the sorcerers can come. If you want to, you can come. He pushes no one away. Whosoever will wants to can come. What what a, what a verse. At the end of the Bible. I mean, I love that. The last thing he's saying is, everybody's invited. What a fun passage. This is a gracious and wide offer of salvation to the point when nobody can look at God and say, you didn't invite me. Do you understand that? If you are a sinner, come to Christ. That's an outstanding verse. Well, what do I have to pay? <laughs> Let's go back to the mills of love again. What do I have to pay, Josh? Look what it says at the end. Come and take. Come and take Christ. Come and take salvation. Come and take forgiveness. You can have it. You can come into the mills of love. You can come walk down where all of our food is. And we'll serve you and put food in your, in your plates and give you whatever you want to drink. And you'll come back for seconds and we'll give you more. Come and take. But don't you dare offer us any money. Because it's all free. It will cost you nothing. My little boy Isaiah looked at me the other day. He was watching something on TV and he said, Dad, ain't, there ain't anything in life for free, is there? I said, there's, there's not but salvation. I looked at him and I said, it cost Jesus his life, but it costs us nothing. There's not enough gold and silver in this world to buy us a place in heaven. Not nearly enough. So when you come, don't you dare, don't you dare try to buy your way in. He gives it freely. God will never sell Christ. God will never bargain with Christ. He gives him freely. Just come and take it. Take it. You can have salvation. You can have forgiveness. You can have heaven. You can have Christ. If you'll just come. I've had people at Mills of Love do that to me. How much does this cost? And when you got their wallet, I didn't know that. This is free. Don't insult me like that. We do this just to get, to get. When we try to pay, let me bring my good works. Let me bring my morals. Let, let me let me do some something for it. The work has been paid for. The work has been done. Just take. Come and take. You can have it. So if I do that with meals of love, think about this. If I walk outside that door and there's people out there and they're hungry out here in the parking lot, and I stand up and I say, anybody who wants to can come. If you are hungry, you can come. Anybody who is thirsty, you can come. It's all been taken care of. It's all been paid for. We'll serve you in here. All you have to do is come. You don't have to change clothes. You don't have to take a shower. You don't have to do anything at all. Just come if you're hungry. If you want to, you can come. If you're thirsty, you can come. Anybody can come. I go down the road and start hollering. Anybody who wants to, we have enough food for everybody. Just come. I blasted on Facebook. Come. If you're hungry, come. And they sit out there with their belly growling and they still won't come. Whose fault is it? Is it Josh's fault? Or is it their fault? You better understand, it's their fault. They turned down the greatest invitation Pitchstone Caps ever had. And if God, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sovereign One, the Saving One, the Supreme One, the Shining One, stands before the whole world and says, Come, and if you don't come, it's not His fault. He invited you just turned it down. And there are many, maybe in this church tonight, who will still say, because of their stubborn, sinful will, I will have none of that. Every Sunday morning, do I not give an invitation? Come to Jesus. Oh, come to 
Jesus, poor sinners, and be saved. Every Sunday, there's people sitting in the pews doing it. Are you hungry? Yes. Come. No. How foolish it is. On the last page of the Bible, one last time, Jesus says, So in closing the church, it's our job to invite. He's wrote it down, now we speak it. We need to invite people to Christ. We need to be like George Whitfield when we see people say, you need to come to Christ. We need to invite people to church. I think we should constantly be inviting people to, to church because we know, according to the Bible, that wherever there is a church and wherever there is a faithful preacher with an open Bible, the Spirit will say, come. That's why we invite people to church. They say, oh, no, don't invite them to church. No, 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 no. When the Bible's open and the, and the message is proclaimed in, in the church, the Spirit is saying, come. Christ is saying, come. And the bride is saying, come. And all those who are sitting in the pew is saying, come to Jesus. This is a great place to hear the gospel. I can't stand to, to hear churches today where they, they, they don't invite people to come. We've got to get back to inviting people again. We've got to be inviting in our person and inviting in personal invitation. We've got to be inviting like our God is inviting. We need to fill the world with invitations to come to Christ. People need to be annoyed by our invitations. Please come to Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're lost, and I know that the probability that for a lost person to be here tonight is not very good. But if you're here tonight and you're not sure at all, then my, I, I tell you to look at this as the last invitation you'll ever get. Well, you'll get another. You'll never get another one. Let me invite you tonight that no matter how bad your sins may be, that no one is beyond the reach of the forgiveness of Christ. And He reaches out from the throne and says, "Come to me." I love that he says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that are laboring, heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your soul. Come to me, burdened people. Come to me, wore out people. Come to me, those who are working too hard and you can't do it anymore. Come to me. If that's you here tonight, and you just, you just can't make it anymore, you're trying too hard, Jesus says, come to me. I invite you tonight. As the Bible says, from the God who wrote it to you who hear it, come to Christ and find forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the last invitation. What a powerful passage of Scripture. I thank you for being an inviting God. I turned down invitations for years with my stubborn, fallen will. But I'm thankful that you, that you kept inviting, that your spirit kept inviting, that there was a preacher in a church that kept inviting, that I had parents that kept inviting. And Father, ultimately, I surrendered and said yes. And God, tonight as we invite, Christ is inviting. The Spirit is inviting. I'm inviting. The church is inviting. If there is one here tonight who is unsure about their place, whether they be outside or inside of heaven, may tonight be the night they answer the invitation and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Thank you for this time tonight. Let us never forget to be inviting people. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. glorifying message that was. And now joining with me today in the studio is Pastor Josh Tompkins. At the end of John's revelation, we're able to see the same saving work of our Lord Jesus as we saw during his ministry in the Gospels at the first time he was with us here on earth. Jesus started his ministry with invitations, then charged all of his followers to continue inviting the world to Christ. And here we see he's still inviting at the end of revelation. Josh, what does this invitation look like today and what role does it play in Christ's church? 
As the passage said here in Revelation, we are to be like Christ, and up until the very end, we are to be an inviting people, an inviting church. I said in the sermons there was two ways we can be inviting. Number one is to be have an inviting presence, an open-armed presence about us, in that our church's doors are open, our hearts are open, our arms are open to unto all the world, and to all types of people. Uh, so we we are an inviting place. We want to, we want to be inviting in our presence here as a church upon upon the earth. That's in being salt and being light in the world that we are inviting. And then the other one, we must audibly, with our voices, invite people to believe on Christ. That's with the gospel. And we do that whether it be one-on-one in evangelism. We do that with um, the daily conversations that we have if we share the gospel with lost people. We do that in the pulpits. Uh, I, th- I think a gospel sermon has to have an invitation. It may not be a walk the aisle, raise a hand, say a prayer invitation, but there has to be an invitation inviting lost people to believe upon Christ and to receive eternal life. That's part of the gospel message. You must believe, and that invitation must be urgent. You must do it now. You must do it today. Uh, the Bible says today is the day of salvation, so we don't put it off. We invite people uh, from now until Jesus returns to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. Thanks, Josh. And we'd like to remind our listeners that if you or someone you know are suffering from an overpowering addiction of any kind and are in need of clothing, or you just want to be surrounded by a loving family for a warm meal, check us out online for a list of all of our services and ministries here at West End. Come by and see us. Our doors are open to everyone. hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at www.westnbsg.org.